Welcome to the Stephen Shields radio show. Today I've got a film composer from the UK named Sarah Warren. How are you, Sarah? Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you as well. Um, I'm very well, thanks. It's good to have you on the show today. Sarah, I've noticed uh, you've got some great uh, film work that you've published on Spotify and you've worked for the BBC as well. Uh, you've also partnered with the QTube uh, with their recent film scoring competition. I've also submitted my entry. How did you come across the QTube? Um, so it was brought to my attention by one of the other fellow judges on the panel, uh, mm -hmm. Tristan Noon. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, then the organiser, Brian, got in touch with me. Um, sounds like a fantastic opportunity. Um, so I was just keen to um, be involved and help the flow of creativity with, you know, new voices and young composers. So, um, so yeah. Mm -hmm. You've also worked for Channel 44, uh, 45 drama series, Humans. How did you end up getting involved in the uh, film industry? Is this the UK or is this in uh, Hollywood? Uh, it's it, this. It's all UK based for me. Yep. So um, I initially came into the industry. Um, uh, I went to the National Film and Television School here in the UK, um, which mm -hmm. is a really brilliant school. Um, and some of the filmmakers that I met and worked with there are the filmmakers that I work with. Um, now so uh, in fact you, you mentioned humans um the director who directed the first block of um season two um and was working on season one as well um he was in my year at film school so mm. we were sort of long time collaborators and friends so yeah and uh, what film school did you study at did you do a bachelor's degree or diploma um, it's called the National Film Television School. It's based in Beaconsfield, which is just outside London. Mm -hmm. um, it's a ma master's degree. Wow, master's. I I've got a bachelor's in uh, classical performance and then I decided Amazing. to go, go into composition as well. What, what, do you, what do you play? So I played the clarinet. I majored in clarinet through my undergrad Fantastic. degree. I played in a few orchestras, the Hansel and Gretel Opera as well amazing and i uh, had to transpose the horn parts because uh, they had the clarinet section fixed so that was that was probably my biggest experience in my undergrad degree as yep. well did you play harp or the piano at one stage uh, yes and i i still do um in mm -hmm. fact this the i'm working on a new drama series um at the moment for bbc one mm -hmm. um which uh has a very strong bowed harp um mm -hmm. part so i've been bowing the harp to and then resampling it to create interesting textures um so yeah no i still i still play the harp and the piano a lot um yeah sarah how long have you been working as a composer in uh film um oh, goodness uh about 10 years now mm -hmm. so uh, yeah it's gone quickly mm. What's been the best times of your career and the not so great times as a film composer? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, I think uh, one of the most exciting times of my career was, was probably my first uh, gig for the BBC. Mm. Um, that felt like a real sort of breakthrough um, moment. Um, that was on a feature documentary um, 
and uh, I, I didn't know the producer or director before and that was something that I got the opportunity to work on via a blind pitch mm. um, so they just listened to my music and they didn't they didn't know me and all the other composers that was all sort of hidden so mm. that I think was the first moment where I felt uh, people were just listening to my output rather than you know considering you as a whole person and and all these other factors that come into play so that that was a really exciting moment um there are a lot of highs and lows um I'm sure every composer would have um the same stories of uh losing pitches that they really wanted that certainly happened to me lots of times um mm. so uh it's a, yeah it's an up and down industry but um extremely fun and I think that's why everyone sort of keeps going because uh the highs outweigh the lows I suppose <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. no that's uh it happens too I, I remember studying my degree where uh, you'd get uh, film composers uh, they composed for all this music then it gets cut by the director and replaced with temp music as well does that affect yeah. you or do you feel well it's given me a paycheck and you know what can um... I do <laughs> So I've not I've not had the experience of having my music cut and replaced with temp before, but I've certainly had the experience where um, I'm battling to provide um, an alternative to the temp that has been really well loved by a team. I think that's quite a common experience. Mm. Uh, it can be a difficult experience, particularly if you yourself as the composer acknowledge that the temp is working really well Mm. um to know what it is that you're doing differently and what you're bringing is gonna bring the project alive in a different way Mm. um that's definitely a really difficult experience and um i can remember one occasion where i wrote 22 versions before what i wrote was accepted Mm. (laughs) which can be a bit of a harrowing experience um so uh yeah the the uh the battle with the temp is definitely real for everyone mm. now it's such a such a shame because i think um uh, if a movie does play too much temp music it just spoils it a bit i know there was a movie with transformers and they just put lincoln decided to put lincoln park in into it uh, <laughs> it's a bit dull you know and if you're watching game of thrones or yeah Spanicky, it's all original i think stuff. I think um, I think temp music at its best can be a really creative way of unlocking conversations about what a team is looking for, mm. and at, at its very worst, it can shut down creativity, and um, you know stop stop you from searching broadly and widely of what is the right thing. So I think it's got pros and cons for sure. So during the 2020 coronavirus pandemic, how did you cope with the whole lockdown, Sarah? And is the UK in a full lockdown at the moment? Uh, UK is in a full lockdown. This is our third lockdown. Um, oh I think, yeah, it's it's difficult. People are um, struggling in their own ways, in their different ways. My husband's a doctor, so I suppose I'm seeing the pandemic from that side when he comes home and the hospitals are very busy. So it is um, a worrying time. In terms of how we coped, uh, that's a very interesting question. I I became a mum in the summer. So we had a baby in the pandemic. Mm. So um, uh, that's that's been an interesting experience because um, it wasn't, I think, what most people experience when they have their family around them and their friends around them. 
your new baby usually brings all those nice experiences um with it but um it's been a bit strange because we haven't been able to see family and friends um that much between lockdowns we've been able to see our families but um yeah it's a it's a tough time um I'm grateful to be in work so um that's made things um all right Uh, but there are a lot of people who've lost their jobs and struggling financially and um the it's really affected everyone globally how's the situation in Australia well, Sydney, it's pretty, it's 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 relaxed, but we have to wear like a face mask in public. Melbourne got yep. into a second full lockdown, and they're slowly getting out. But on like Western That's Australia good. and the Northern Territory, uh, I think Tasmania or South Australia, like in Perth, everything's so relaxed over there. Like all nightclubs are open. They're on the gosh, platform. yeah, and well, uh, worlds away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the Northern Territory, I don't know, because it's so hot out there in the outback, you don't hear about it. No, but we've been yep. lucky in Sydney. But still, That's I wouldn't good. even travel interstate during this time. Yeah, I mean, we've just had it really badly here in the UK, and I think there are multiple factors. But um, I think, you know, compared to Australia, we're a very densely populated country. And so I think the virus has just traveled incredibly quickly. Um, so it's, um, we all just hope that uh, the vaccination program will work and everyone's lives can get back to, uh, to relative normal as soon as, as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and um, I suppose, I suppose that 2020 wasn't an easy time for anyone. I know the QTube started, I started Shield Productions as an entrepreneur um yeah yeah i don't know why i just felt it was the right time to start a company as well amazing and then go and do something with um brian waters as well which was a fantastic opportunity to build a portfolio as well how did you have you collaborated with brian in the past or was this the first time of this competition I haven't. No, this is the first time um, I've met Brian, but I absolutely love what he's doing. I think it's, uh, you know, it's a very rare and exciting opportunity to have the possibility of your music to be performed um, by, you know, a large live ensemble. It's something that um, will be incredibly exciting for the winner of the competition. So um, I think the fact that he's felicitating that opportunity is is just really great um particularly in a pandemic because you know live music the recording process it's all been um i mean recordings are still taking place but it's it's all been very sort of tricky um and uh certainly i think anything that's helping performers and musicians to um carry on during these times is is also great from that side as well Mm. We wanted to ask, what um, uh, music notation software do you use? I'm using uh, Dorico 3.5 and I use Logic. What have you used throughout your career? So so I also use um, Logic as my door. Um, And then to notate scores, uh, I'm a Sibelius user. Um, Sibelius was my first ever um, experience of digital music when when I was about 11, but I think it was... Sibelius too back then <laughs> things have come a long way um so yeah a combination of logic and Sibelius 
Yeah, I started off with Sibelius in my undergrad degree, but I had a you know hard yeah. time flicking through the manual. And so when Dorico right. came out, um, it was just so simple and straightforward. I can just tie it. I don't have to. Amazing. Yeah. I've not actually checked out Dorico, but um, I have heard good things. Um, I think Sibelius is just sort of old habit for me now. Um, so, but I, I know what you mean. There's a lot of shortcuts to learn and yeah. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask what, what keeps you going during the tough times, like a pandemic? Um, I think for me, um, uh, do you mean from a from a composing point of view? I, yeah, I from a composing point of view, entrepreneurship point of view for yourself. Yeah. Um, so for me, I think it's all about um, looking for projects that um, excite me and that feel sort of personal on some level. I think being creative is tough, even at the best of times, because you're, you know, you're searching for innovation and newness and something like a pandemic can make you feel quite flat mm. um so i think in order to keep um your sort of your sort of love of creativity alive it's it's all about sort of collaborating with um ideas and people that excite you mm. um I, I think for me that that's been uh, that's been key mm. and i just put my light on it's getting dark in here oh yeah <laughs> That's better. There we go. <laughs> yeah, it's been quite hot in Sydney, so keep all the Has windows it? closed. Yeah. I suppose it's your summer there. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely freezing in the UK. So. <laughs> mm -hmm. I like the winter better. Yeah. I really oh, yeah. Well, I, ca I came in the studio this morning. I put the heating on, so mm. yeah. <laughs> No, it's not, it's not easy living through a pandemic with the media just bombarding everything and just all this misinformation out there too. Yeah, I think uh, misinformation is a, is a big problem. It's one of the dark sides of technical progression, for sure. Um, uh, I, I think that's why it's always smart to read widely and listen widely so you can try and sift what's what's real what's not real mm. Mm -hmm. Sarah what's your favorite music and style to compose in um so I'd say my sort of natural style is um well so I was initially classically trained um piano was my first instrument harp my second so um the sort of the classical study does come through but then um i studied electronic music after that so um i have different influences i usually have quite a strong live element and then um i like to kind of mess around with sound quite a lot my music is all about i think interesting textures um and uh things that sort of support the story and bring you into the right sort of emotional platform yeah, part of my work, I do orchestral uh, music and yep. electronic. And I wrote a track called Judas last year in the pandemic. Got played on a uh, community radio station. Somewhere Amazing. I don't know where it was. But uh, I do music videos for that. And, yeah, I enjoy electronic work as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, lost that... you for a second there. <laughs> uh, oops. Yeah, Hi. <laughs> 
yeah. And uh, you, you've got uh, works on. I, I checked out your Spotify. You've done something with what sans toy or something and elemental uh, power. Explain um, a bit more sans, about that. Sans toi uh, means oh, without you wrong. in French. Yeah. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> um, so I, um, quite a few years ago, I did some work um, with EMI. Um, some library work and they had a uh, they were commissioning a French music album mm. so I collaborated um, with a singer um, and we um, created um, this track called Sans Toi in an afternoon um, and I sent it towards the pitch for the album um, not mm. really expecting it to be selected but they they ran with it and that song has been synced to movie trailers, to games. Um, it's just really kind of picked up an interesting um, and very unexpected following. So, um, so yeah, it's uh, it was an unexpected, pleasant surprise, sort of alongside the film work that I do. So, um, yeah, sans toi. <laughs> what, what's your opinion on uh, streaming services in music versus royalty free? And do you appreciate Spotify and Apple Music? Streaming services, what a good question, uh, mm. because they are completely transforming and changing the industry in every way. So major pros, um, music is truly global now, and it's so um, easy to access music across loads of genres, from loads of countries. Um, I mean, that is just mind-blowing and really fantastic. Um, I remember when I was a teenager, everybody used to listen to the same, you know, six, seven, eight bands. Um, music is just not like that anymore, um, which I think is amazing. One of the things that I think is very difficult for artists, um, I think the pandemic has only accentuated that because, of course, gigging, touring, it's all just not been possible, um, is that um, streaming royalties are, are not catching up enough with um the way the industry has become so artists composers writers they're not earning the comparative amounts that they were when we were on a sort of a less digital um sort of platform you know when when they relied more on cd sales and, and that kind of thing streaming royalties just have not caught up um financially and so i would say that while the industry is kind of um, struggling and people are um, continuing and keeping going, I think we're going to reach a point in a few years where there's either going to be a big sort of fallout from the industry, not as many people will be able to afford to keep working because it's financially not viable, um, or the business model will shift again and hopefully it will be rewarding artists where, you know, where it's due um, mm. because for me I observe there's a huge disparity um, when my music is on terrestrial channels so it's, it's broadcast um, the royalties are much much higher than if my music was on a streaming service such as Amazon Prime or Netflix mm. um, and I'm sort of questioning as our industry becomes more and more online mm. why is there such a strong disparity there and, and, and the way that the revenues are being placed and the way they're being divided really needs some scrutiny because it's clear to me that that, that most services are going to go online mm. and therefore it needs to be examined how everybody is 
being remunerated fairly. Mm. Yeah, my first paycheck this year was $3 from <laughs> royalties. I mean, that is that is literally insane because mm-hmm. um, if you think about, you know, obviously albums have always been historically divided between, you know, labels, publisher, artist, writer. So mm. it's not as if you, there haven't been splits before. But, you know, $3 as a paycheck for, I don't know how many streams that corresponds to, but it's just madness because you're, you are making a living as a musician um, and people are enjoying your product. $3 does not translate as, you know, the system is a little bit broken, but I have faith that um, as we sort of continue down this path that hopefully, um, we will get on top of that. Mm. Well, I've only uh, I've only been on streaming for one year, so I don't didn't have a yep. lot of streams. But that's an achievement. I've also started yeah, it's brilliant. Looking at the royalty-free path, where you just sell the track for a one-off, and that's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, everyone has their feelings about um, uh, these different models. The, the trouble with the bu- the buyout. Um, is is you are you are selling your rights you are selling your mm. you know <laughs> what your music is worth for um an upfront fee that you hope is healthier than what it would continue to be if you held on to those rights but i do think in some situations that's a little bit dangerous and i i really hope that particularly with new and younger musicians that that they aren't being convinced to let go of their rights naively because I, I do think that some corporations are taking advantage of that because, of course, when someone waves a bigger check in front of you, you think, oh, yes, please. <laughs> mm-hmm. But actually, you know, your music is worth a lifetime of, of that creation. And so I, I do think artists should be careful of, of doing that. How do you deal with pressure as a film composer, Sarah? Um, so I think one of the key um essential skills is handling pressure deadline um sort of being very organized um i handle it mostly through um timetabling deliverables Mm. so if i'm on a i don't know like a four-part or a five-part series um and i know my end delivery schedule when the mixes are happening Um, I usually timetable backwards where I need to be in terms of delivering first drafts, having feedback. um, And it usually comes down to a certain number of minutes a day Mm. of music that I um, need to be writing in order to stay on track. So I just sort of break it down into simple numbers and I don't leave the studio until I've clocked up those minutes. Mm. Um, And I think uh, I feel like lots of composers do work that way. It's a really kind of handy way of making sure you stay within the schedule, even if feedback and different conversations are going on, as long as you're moving forward, then I think that's the key to um, meeting meeting your deadlines. Mm-hmm. If you didn't become a film composer, what would you be doing? Oh, my goodness. Um, so <laughs> before becoming a composer, um, my only... <laughs> other sort of work experience was I I used to um, uh, work with Huskies in Canada Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm not sure I would be doing that professionally but um, that was certainly a job I really really loved Um, if I wasn't if I wasn't in music 
It's a good question. I would like to, I would like to feel that I'd still be working in something creatively. Um, no one has ever asked me that question. So it's, it's difficult to imagine myself doing anything else at this point because um, I suppose it's been, it's been 10 years, but who knows, I might have a career change post pandemic. Um, I think the one thing that the pandemic has highlighted for me is the importance of work-life balance. I know it's something that composers struggle with because of all the things you just mentioned, like deadlines and pressure. Um, and it's a very fast industry. Um, so I think the one takeaway that hopefully I will have, and I think lots of people will hopefully have, is that um, whilst it's good to be ambitious and work hard, it's also really important to enjoy life along the way. Mm. Uh, what what famous musicians do you admire and have you seen any famous musicians on stage? Uh, yes, certainly. Gigging feels like a, a long time away. Um, in terms of people I haven't seen on stage, I mean, there are obviously a lot of um, classical musicians that I have a huge ad admiration for. Um, Debussy, Ravel... Rachmaninoff, a lot of people from the Impressionist uh, sort of romantic period. Um, in terms of um, more sort of modern electronic influences, um, I love people like Fortet, Bonobo, uh, Caribou. Um, that's sort of the kind of area that I like to listen to a lot. In terms of people I've seen live on stage, um, gosh, it was so many years ago now, but when I saw Bon Iver on stage, that was a phenomenal experience his music is very cinematic to me um so that was great um i actually cannot wait for festivals and gigs to come back it's one of the things i've missed the most mm -hmm. how about yourself have you seen it seen it last are you missing year, seeing anyone <laughs> yeah well, last year the support act uh, non-for-profit uh, organization put on a put on a free uh, concert at the kudos bank arena i think i, I saw the act that ex-lead singer from Powderfinger, and I think I saw Kevin Bacon okay. as well. Okay, amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that was cool. <laughs> I'd never heard yeah. of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> amazing. Oh, no, what that was cool. uh, So that, that was it was only one concert that happened, and that was, uh, I think, in December. That's it. And yep. still waiting to go ahead now, you know. Yeah. But, well, uh, I think you'll get you, you'll get there before we do. That's for sure. <laughs> who was your first music uh, teacher um, that you studied with? Um, that would be my first piano teacher at primary school. Mm -hmm. uh, she was she was so I, I went to primary school in Scotland. It's where mm -hmm. I was born. Um, she was called Mrs. Cordner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, she was very strict. Um, I was not a very good sight reader initially because I did everything. I liked playing things by ear. Mm. And I sometimes think if you develop your ear first, you, your eye, your reading skills take a little while to follow. She was very, very strict on me with my sight reading. Um, but I'm very grateful for that because uh, it meant I went on to develop my reading skills much, much better as I was a sort of teenager and sort of really getting into music. Um, but yeah, no, I, I remember that like it was yesterday. So uh, mm -hmm. my goodness, several decades ago now. <laughs> mm. 
Uh, what advice do you have for beginner composers out there? Um, my advice would be work on your sound. So mm -hmm. don't try too hard to sound like someone else. I think it's really great to be inspired um, uh, by other artists and to sort of let those um, inspirations kind of kind of filter through you but I think work on your voice and what you bring and how you approach music so that that would be one and um, the second piece of advice would be to um, pursue projects and pursue people that um, you really like um, so try to work with filmmakers where you're really in love with their work because I think when you collaborate with um people that inspire that genuinely inspire you rather than just bring in a paycheck mm. i think that that usually creates really genuine and really exciting work so that those would be my two pieces of advice i think mm -hmm. how do you get your inspiration to write for a film when the director says oh you've got to write for this sort of scene I noticed in my experience, if I've had to write for a kid's scene, I have to write something happy because I have my own style, which is dramatic. So now it's a yep. challenge. How do you feel about that? So I think exactly as you're saying, um, it, it's this, it's the scene that dictates sort of where you should start. So um, for me, I sometimes come on board project quite early. Mm. So that would be reading the script. Um, and kind of thematically working out what the music should be doing to the show. So are the major sort of strands of narrative, you know, is it jealousy? Is it betrayal? Is it um, tension? Is it corruption? So sort of in my head, work out what it is that the music is telling and then create some themes from that. So that would be work away from picture as an initial stage. But then um, once, this, once the uh, production comes into edit, I'm always working to a scene. So that's sometimes tonal language of the scene. Um, you know, is the cinematography dark? Is it abstract? Is it um, strange? Uh, is it very real? Um, so that would kind of affect the forces that I would choose and the kind of sound palettes. Um, and then it's always about analysing why you're in the scene. Why does the scene need music? Um, because sometimes it doesn't need music. But if you feel like it does, you've always got to figure out what it is that you're trying to say. So it's not really about harmony. It's not really about melody. It's all about the, the emotion and then figuring out how you construct that emotion through the sound. That's mm. always been my approach. Mm -hmm. No, that's 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 really good. What's been the hardest genre to write for you? Um, so that's a really interesting question because I feel that um, my work has kind of taken me in sort of not a narrow genre, but I do tend to work on dramas that are quite um, quite real, quite gritty, quite dark. Um, and then I have documentary work that is also kind of quite real, quite gritty and quite dark. I, I work on sort of real stories that in some senses are quite dramatic um, or that have a lot of raw emotions in them. So my work has been in 
in quite um, a similar sort of emotional sphere, I would really, really love to um, have more experiences of, say, comedy or, um, uh, you know, something with a little bit sort of more more colour. Um, mm. So, because I, I feel like I have been sort of honing these ideas in a similar sort of world for a while. Um, and I suppose the challenge, the challenge of that, if you keep working on material that, um, you know, is, is within a world or within a genre, the challenge there is to make it different and fresh every time. Because if, if you're um, sort of practicing your skills on a, on a similar sort of fabric every time, you do need to work hard to search for doing it differently um, and with a sort of different kind of skill or idea every time so I think that's probably been my greatest challenge every time I hit a new project I'm like what is it that's going to make this one different this one creatively interesting I want to do something that I've not done before but those kind of feelings I think are the big challenge mm -hmm. what are you working on for 2021 and uh what do you hope to achieve for this year um, so I have a, a drama series called The Drowning coming out in the UK, um, but it will be international at some stage um, in February. Mm -hmm. um, that's sort of a sort of dark thriller. And then I'm currently composing on a series for BBC One um, with Sean Bean and Stephen Graham mm -hmm. um, uh, just now. Uh, and then I have another project for the summer, which is another thriller. So my aim for this year is uh, honestly to, to bring creative freshness to those projects. But like I was saying earlier, to focus on getting true kind of work-life balance in my life. I think that's my 2021 aim. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How about yourself? What's your, what's your aim for 2021? Yeah, uh, publishing another album out, uh, growing the YouTube channel, uh, podcasting Great. with more, more people as well and uh improving the live streaming too starting right. to teach music through my company as well and uh, fantastic yeah, going to do a business course this year and building the social Great. media do you um uh with the teaching do you do you have a group of students that you teach reg regularly not yet so i'm still trying to uh, start out and doing them gonna do them on skype or zoom yeah great well I mean I think I'm sure you're the same I, I feel like everyone li lives their lives on zoom these days but it is amazing that you know we have these these apps and these possibilities to to, to be able to carry on you know conversations <laughs> because uh I I was thinking a lot actually yesterday about the last pandemic that happened a uh, hundred years ago and thinking that they they obviously didn't have any of the resources that we have to stay connected to people. So um, in some respects, you know, although it's, it's awful and the times are going through is awful, it is nice that we have the tools to stay in communication with people that we can't see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, well, that's it. Everything's electronic now. You know, a lot of production yep. companies have uh, closed down especially in Hollywood as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fil filming is incredibly difficult now. It's a huge logistical feat. I'm amazed that we have so many productions still in shoots. Um, 
here which is brilliant for keeping our industry going but I think it's um hugely difficult to make sure it's done um safely so yeah, yeah. Mm. no that's it you know you can only move on on from yeah. 2020 yeah and yeah. Uh, do you <laughs> plan to keep uh writing for films or are you going to write your own albums in the future what are you what are you looking at doing so um most of my work is for television series um mm. I suppose I didn't make an active choice as to whether I was going into TV or film. Um, I feel really um, happy and excited that it ended up being more television because I think um, online streaming, streaming services, it, it's, uh, people are digesting incredible content at home more and more. Um, and so I feel I've, I've ended up in the place where I probably would have wanted to be. Um, I do hope that in the future that I perhaps move more into film, but I think film um, has its challenges uh, and I think the pandemic has not mm. helped at all. Um, I hope that cinema survives and has a good uh, life throughout our lives, um, but I certainly think television is incredibly healthy, very exciting. Um, huge budgets amazing quality which is just worlds away from where it was you know 25 30 years ago so um i think tv is a very exciting place to be so i hope i stay there for a little while yeah no that's that's awesome to have that vision i think and uh stay where you want to be i want to yeah. just talk about like netflix and amazon prime and stan for some reason I just don't appreciate streaming. It's weird. Um, That's feel... a, uh, when you when you say you don't appreciate it. Do you mean um, you don't appreciate uh, watching content that way, or? Yeah, it's just weird because uh, there's shows on Netflix I want to watch and they're not there, and they've got a weird algorithm. Yeah. Oh, as in what's uh, advertised towards you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, getting past algorithm algorithms does seem to be uh, the challenge of the moment because it's on all the social media platforms as well and i think some of them are a bit strange um i think um i mean i don't know about you but i belong to a lot of streaming services um and that in itself is quite a lot of uh, uh admin <laughs> to have these different subscriptions sort of floating around but um i think we're at a transitional stage where you know there's a lot of competition netflix apple tv amazon prime mm. um i don't see it the competition staying that wide for that long i think it will condense and we will have a couple of major players um so i think we're at a very unusual stage where there are a lot of companies fighting to have their content at the front you're right yeah, that's it. I was just going to show you something. I'm still old school. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, nice. <laughs> DVD <laughs> all the way. Yeah. yeah, well, and I think we're losing that sense of um, owning content. I mean, I'm the same. I, I have like a CD rack and a DVD rack and uh, it's, like a, it's like a library. It's a physical thing. And um, it seems that that is becoming a thing of the past and the younger generation don't 
seem as fussed about having access to things just purely digitally I mean I love and the same thing I don't, I don't like reading books on Kindles I like reading an actual physical book that I can hold um, so it's kind of yeah it's just it's just very changing times but I, I think um, I can't I can't place any bets on 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 who the who the winners are gonna be but I don't think we will have as many streaming services as we currently have for a long time mm-hmm. um, I think the industry is going to sh- keep shifting um, and it's just about going with that and following following what it's becoming which is which is guided by by what people are interested in and how people want to watch things and it does seem clear that um, while you're in a very healthy minority of, of, of old schoolness it, it does seem that the demand for um, online services is just absolutely massive but I mean the figures are massive so I don't mind it, Sarah, but uh, it just gets to a point because they, like, I tried Apple TV. I thought it was rubbish, and I as in the con- the content. Yeah, there's just nothing there to watch, and it was just weird. And iTunes as well, it's just weird. It's they need to improve that. Um, it's just complicated. Yeah, wanna... I mean, Apple Apple is a is a really interesting model because, of course. Um, the, the slightly scary thing about the Apple model is um, they make so much revenue from devices mm. that could potentially forever fund the generation of content. Mm. Um, that's an incredibly safe model because their finan- a lot of services rely on spending money to make amazing content and then earning money from their amazing content. Whereas Apple have got this system where they make all their money from their products um so it's it's sort of like a plus for them that they can make this in, sort of amazingly high budget content um so i think apple's a really interesting one because other services don't don't sort of have that that side to them mm. no i was gonna you were mentioning about the kindle i, I listened to audible because yeah. I, I listen to audible. oh yeah audible's great yeah because i can't read electronic books there it's just I just zone out and it's like yeah I th- online learning I just can't concentrate with video lectures they put me to sleep yeah I'm old-fashioned I've got to be in the classroom pen and paper I think that's nothing but a good thing <laughs> you know no uh, yeah and uh so what else music wise are you doing uh, at the moment uh, so I'm I'm just working on uh, this series, and I've got my next series lined up, um, and uh, that's that's keeping me pretty pretty full time to be honest. So my, yeah, my next series is delivering in April. We're just um, it's all shot now, um, just wrapping up the final edit of episode one, um, just three episodes. So um, yeah, that will all be delivered, done and dusted in in April. So. Um, yeah, when I'm not in the studio, I'm mostly doing non-musical activities. <laughs> um, sort of, yeah, just hanging out with my little new family and that's it, really. Mm-hmm. Sarah, it was a great interview with you today. Where can people find you on social media or your website? So um, I have, uh, my website is uh, www.sarahwarn.com and that's 
kind of got everything um on it and it's got links to i've got a, a twitter um an instagram and a facebook so always happy to connect via those platforms as well um so yeah i know always happy to be in touch and um uh it's just great to i have this feeling that the composing community is always growing and new voices and ideas are coming through and that's very exciting so if anyone wants to connect um i'm more than happy to do that Mm-hmm.